is will be in First Thessalonians two. It'll be just a moment before we read there together. May I commend you for being in the Lord's house today. It's vital that we keep the Lord's day, the Lord's day, and uh, every aspect of it, and give honor to Him by doing that. And I am very glad you're with us. Glad you're here this morning. This evening, I hope you will, as always, make it the Lord's Day and make plans to be back. God willing, this evening I'll be speaking on the upward way of child rearing. I'm pretty sure I don't have any children rear. My children are all rear. That's the amazing thing about the Bible. It, uh, no matter what the subject is announced, when the Bible is open and given out and clearly preached, it's amazing what we learn from it and what we what we get from it. But I hope you'll be here. If for some reason you are a parent in this room and for some reason you will not be able to be here this evening, um, may I encourage you to listen to that as soon as it's out, whether it be on YouTube or on the podcast, but uh, dealing with that, if you will. And uh, I want to talk to you this morning a little bit and preach for a little while on the subject of the biblical pattern for the family. The biblical pattern for the family. We live in a time when... <laughs> People cannot figure out even what a man and a woman is. So, not not a surprising thing that a solid, right pattern that the Bible gives what a family is is either not understood or just not heeded at all. And so we want to understand what is the biblical pattern for a family. Think with me here for a moment and we'll pray together and then I want to... I want you to follow me for something we're going to be turning to several passages of Scripture, but I'm going to lay a foundation as we head there so you'll get the best benefit out of them when we get to them. But let's pray together. All right, Father, guide our minds this morning. Guide mine in the speaking, also in the hearing. I want to listen while I talk and, and learn what you have for me. And Lord, I've learned already in the preparing of this, but I want to learn again in the delivering of it. And Father, I pray that you'll help me stay right on track and give exactly what you want this morning. I believe that your Word can build these people up. I believe it can convict. I believe it can comfort. It can do everything it's sent forth to do. Lord, help me to be a faithful conduit for Your truth. And Lord, I pray that You'll bless Your people. Help them have hearing ears and put their mind and their attention here. May they not just be sitting in this room. Lord, may they be desirous of learning about You. God, help us to be a people who respond to You and are not... Uh, may we not be a, uh, a careless and unaffectionate bride towards You. Lord, may we, may we respond to You. May we, may we be affectionate towards You and, and want to hear what Your voice says. I ask that You'll help us do that today. Amen. God has always, and I can say that categorically because it's biblical, God has always established and given patterns for His people to follow. He's done so so that His people can be safe and so they can be fully blessed. He gave the pattern by which Noah was to build the ark, the pattern for Moses to build the tabernacle, the pattern of good works which Timothy was to live to be an example to other believers. Paul said to the Thessalonians, you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Uh, God has always used a pattern to reach His people. I want you to listen with careful interest. I'm not going to turn you to all these, but I've put together a sheet of uh, some of the verses that deal with this. So, while we're establishing, we're looking at a biblical pattern for the family. What I'm showing you first in the Bible is that God operates and has chosen to communicate to us 
by giving us patterns which we can follow, which, which we can go uh, along and, and, and model our life after. Um, think about this. There was a great specificity, a great, a great detail to the pattern that God gave to Noah. How vital was that? Only eight people would be saved from the wrath of that flood. And God gave very specific details to Noah. When He talked about building the ark in which all that would survive of humanity would be safely kept from the judgment of God, when He talked about that, He, he dealt specifically with the length, with the breadth, and with the height of it. It's interesting. I've enjoyed studying on it and studying on it. And the dimensions of that particular ship that God had him build are the most stable nautical structure you could get. So God knew that. And so He dealt with that. He dealt with the placement and the size of the window. He dealt with the placement of the door. He dealt with the interior structure. Three floors inside there and what that would be like. He dealt with what specific wood would be used and what would be used to waterproof that wood. So God, He gave a pattern. He said, here's how you build this. Here's what you do so that it'll last. Here's some verses. Listen carefully to these. In Exodus 25, verse 9, it says, According to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. So when the tabernacle was made, which was the first place of worship before they built the temple. What it was done, it was done by a blueprint or a pattern which was given for that. Exodus 25.40 says, And look that thou make them, talking about the vessels, all the tools that will be used in worship, they make them after their pattern which was showed thee in the mount. So every snuffer for the candles, every, uh, every shovel that was used, everything that was used for the sacrifices, God gave the pattern how those things were supposed to be designed with it. Numbers 8 verse 4 says, In this work of the candlestick, talking about the, uh, uh, talking about the candlestick that was used there in the tabernacle and then in the temple, and this work of the candlestick was of beaten gold unto the shaft thereof, unto the flowers thereof, was beaten work according to the pattern which the Lord had showed Moses, so He made the candlestick. They didn't just come up with something. God said, here's what it's supposed to look like. Here's exactly how this thing's supposed to be made. Joshua 22, verse 28, this is an interesting verse. Therefore said we that it shall be when they should so say to us or to our generations in time to come that we may say again. So listen, this is talking about multiple generations, something being passed down. That we may say again, behold the pattern of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between us and you. And so it said for generation after generation, that same pattern, unchanged, is supposed to be passed down. God always deals with His people by giving us patterns to follow. He shows us something. By the way, that's why it's so important that the young people, and us adults too, learn early what we call the Bible stories, the accounts in the Bible. Because in those, you see God's working. You also learn something about man's response. You learn about man's fallen nature and the things which are inherent to us, the dangerous things and the things which cause us problems. And then you learn how God deals with things and you look for that pattern. There's a great deal of instruction and comfort in that because when we look at it, what we end up doing is we can find out that God is in the business of taking care of things and is not confused at all with what's going on in our world. Um, 1 Chronicles 28 has these two verses in it. It says, Then David gave to Solomon 
his son the pattern of the porch and of the houses thereof and of the treasuries thereof and of the upper chambers thereof and of the inner parlors thereof and the place of the mercy seat and the pattern of all that he had by the Spirit of the courts of the house of the Lord and of all the chambers round about of the treasuries of the house of God and of the treasuries of the dedicated things. In other words, David did not get to build the house of God even though he wanted to, but God would not allow him to. He was not allowed to. But his son Solomon did, and what David did was he passed on what by God's Spirit would be given to him and what would be going on and how things were supposed to be built. Another passage out, out of Chronicles there, it says, and, and for the altar of incense, refine gold by weight, and gold for the pattern of the chariot of the cherubims that spread out their wings and covered the ark of the covenant of the Lord. All this, said David, the Lord made me to understand in writing by His hand upon me even all the works of this pattern. You go over to the New Testament, listen to this passage. 1 Timothy, Howbeit for this cause I obtain mercy. This is Paul writing to Timothy. That in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering, listen, for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on Him to life everlasting. And Paul said the things that were happening in my life, the troubles I went through, all the tribulations, all the things that happened, the thorn that wouldn't be removed, the things that went on, he said those were for a pattern. So in the generations to come, people would say this is how you continue, this is how you stay faithful with it. Writing to another preacher, which uh, Paul uh, trained by the Spirit of God in the book of Titus, it says, In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works. In doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. So he said to Titus, he said, you are to be a pattern that people can copy in the way that you're living. This is, this is important for what we're going to learn. And then Hebrews chapter 8 it says, who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. Listen to the verse. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed thee in the mouth. I don't think I have to keep going for us to understand that God does things by pattern. So when I make a statement to you that God has chosen to speak to his people and to show them how to live by giving us patterns. It's well documented in the Bible. And in fact, we're going to be looking at the biblical pattern for the family. God says this is how it's supposed to be. He gives evidence to it. It doesn't get. We don't get to make it up in, in generation after generation. Right. The society does not get to change what marriage is. Right. The society does not get to redefine the role of the man and the woman. God set it up, and it is eternal. And you say, well, not eternal, they're changing it. No, they're not changing it. They're perverting themselves by not recognizing it. So they're not bringing about change, they're bringing about condemnation upon themselves. Tell you how, how fundamental this goes. Jesus' disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught also his disciples. And then we have what is commonly referred to as the Lord's Prayer. Probably a better name for its model prayer. Because it really wasn't Jesus' prayer, it was Jesus teaching them how to pray. And we know what it says, and it, the, pat, the concept of a pattern is just basic to that prayer. Our Father which you are in heaven, hallowed be thy name, as in heaven, thy will be done, as in heaven, it says, so in earth. What is he saying? 
The same way that's in heaven is the same way we should act on earth. The same thing that motivates heaven is the same motive we should have here. In other words, there's a pattern that we're doing. The pattern what we're doing with that. So with that understood, I had to turn there to 1 Thessalonians. I want to show you some things with this in just a moment. We want to learn about patterns in conjunction with family. Let me tell you this morning, we'll touch on the, I believe there are four great aspects of the biblical pattern for the family. You want to get these four words. Four great aspects. One is responsibility. Responsibility. The second one is reverence. Reverence. The third one is built upon the second one, but is not equivalent to, and it's respect. And the fourth one I have is rejoicing. I believe there are four basic fundamental elements to the biblical pattern for a family. You have the first one being responsibility. Second one being reverence. Then respect. And then rejoicing. We're going to look at each one in turn with that. First of all, I want to talk about responsibility. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I did not turn there yet because of what I'm doing here. So I'll endeavor to join you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Get my... It's funny, I paperclip my outlines in the Bible and then I get tangled with them sometimes when I'm moving. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And I want you to look at one verse with this thing talking about responsibility. Let's, let's go to ver, let's do two verses. Let's go 10 and 11 just to do a complete thought there. Look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, Ye are our witnesses, and God also, look at it, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. So there was a pattern of their behavior there, but look at the next verse talking about family. As you know how we exhorted, and comforted and charged every one of you as a father doth his children. And you have in that, you have a threefold cord, if you will, that's not easily broken of, of what good parenting is. Exhorted, comforted, and charged. Every one of you. And this thing of responsibility, um, the entire family, in a biblical family, the entire family has responsibility one toward another. When I was small, when I was growing up, up until I moved out on my own, my own, began taking care of myself. Actually, I became an adult man because I began taking care of all my own needs when I was 17. And when I did that and, and, and basically started that direction, um, up until that time, my mom took care of me. Not that I wasn't helping as we went along, but she took care of me. She, she cared for me and met the needs and that sort of thing. You say, what about your dad? My dad... Uh, my dad left us, and he was not part of that. He did not do what he should. And my stepfather um, married my mom when I was five, and, and he, uh, uh, he worked hard and, and was a very steady man, and you could depend on him, and that. so very good things with that. But my mom had that responsibility, so there was a responsibility my mom had towards me. She had. And my father had responsibility towards me, but he, he abdicated that responsibility. He left it. Never did that. Never, said, never supported us kids at all. And so it, it was there. But he, my mom took that responsibility. Later on in life, things would turn around, as I recently mentioned. And then uh, we children, my, my brother, my sister and I, who were so well cared for, we were able then to help my mom at her time of need. And so we had a responsibility. 
you see with that. And we have responsibility towards one another. You know, they're saying my brothers went through this uh, cancer in his throat and such, and, and my, my sister has ongoing health problems with all kinds of weird types, actually. Um, she, she majors in weird, but it's, uh, it is uh, but serious weird. Um, but she has, uh, uh, we try to take care of each other. We have responsibilities. You had that. Oh, by the way, um, when I was growing up, I had responsibilities at the house. Uh, I had responsibilities to take care of my stuff. Responsibilities not to damage and treat like it was nothing. Things that were given to me by my parents. If that was given, they bought me something. It was my responsibility to take care of it. I was supposed to take care of my area, keep my room clean. My mom didn't let me have my room start look like a hog pen and uh, do that. You wouldn't do it. And, um, and, and so you have responsibilities. You have different responsibilities. With it. So responsibility, each one has one. Let me say to us, though, the father, the husband and the father carries the most responsibility in a, a family. With his wife helped him, which is God's design. And by the way, we all know, and so much hurt there is, and so many hurting people with it, anytime we go outside of God's pattern, there are problems caused by it. And uh, they vary from mild things when we're outside the pattern to horrifically painful things. And, uh, and of course, in a broken world, we have to deal with those things. But how, what's God's pattern? What, what does He want? And what is the thing we want to look for? What kind of people do we want to be with this? Um, the, the husband and father carries the most responsibility. And with his wife helping him, he's accountable for some things. Um, let me say this thing about us being accountable, gentlemen. We can abdicate the position, as my father did. Abdicate just simply means you leave that which is your duty to do without doing the duty. You can, you can abdicate the position, but you can never sidestep the responsibility. You know, as Christian people, we need to get back to believing there is a judgment day coming. We say, well, my sins are forgiven. Yes, they are, but we shall stand before the judgment seat. You're going to, and I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I, I wouldn't be fit to be your pastor if I didn't warn you that that day's coming. If I don't warn you that you will one day face what you do in this body, whether it be good or evil, that you will one day give account to Christ. If I don't warn you of that, then you need to vote me out of this church and get somebody in here who will be an actual Bible preaching preacher. Somebody who cares enough about your soul to tell you what you need to hear and call us into remembrance that we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And so with this sin, we have a responsibility. I am responsible for the family that God's given. I am responsible for what I'm supposed to be doing with, with what God's done. And uh, I, I look at that uh, with both... Uh, it's a blessing and there's some fear and trembling with it too. You say, well, you worry about that here. Your kids are grown. Well, my kids are, are men and, and are, are able to take good care of themselves and do take good care of things. But there, uh, it does not. Last time I checked, I'm still breathing. I can tell that because I'm preaching. Okay? And uh, that means that I still have things I'm supposed to be doing as a father at this stage of life. And things that I'm supposed to be helping them with. Not in the same way when they were children and they have their own households or their own men. They answer for themselves. But, the, uh, but as far as there's still things I'm supposed to be doing in the way of leading and loving and such as that. So what's the responsibility? Here's some of the things we're responsible for, gentlemen. We're, we're responsible for environment. That doesn't mean you get in charge of the thermostat and your wife doesn't touch it, okay? <laughs> we are in charge of the environment. We are to be gatekeepers. What do we allow in our house? What do we allow to come in? What do we bring in? 
what do we allow to happen? You know, there comes a time in every life where, as dad, you may have to look at the child that you love and say, we're not doing that here. You may have to say, honey, you're not wearing that. Because I see things with a man's eyes you don't see, and dad loves you. You need to learn how to do it well. You need to learn how to do it in a kind way, but in a firm way. Say, so well, you do that, they'll rebel. Yeah, that's such bogus thinking, I can't even hardly address it. Now, if you're, if you're hypocritical in your actions, and if you're mean in the way you go about it instead of loving, you might incite some rebellion. But if someone rebels against truth that's lovingly brought forth, then rebellion is springing from within their heart, not from the one bringing forth truth. Um, God didn't make rebels out of mankind by giving the commandments. He gave the commandments because we are rebellious and we tend to destroy ourselves and dishonor the name of God. So we need guidelines by which to work. And we need, we need a whole rethinking of how we look at some things. And so the environment, what's it like? What do you allow in? If you're, if you're young and comes and sits down by you, look up at me. Look up at me. There we go. There we go. Take your hood down. All right. There you go. There you go. Good girl. Um, the, uh, of course, you may have a kink in your neck by the time you're done sitting that close. Um, but the, if a young one comes in when you're young, it's come in and sit down by you while you're watching something. They look over your shoulder at your phone. What are, what are you bringing in? What do we do? We have responsibility. And let me say this to you in a way which you can affect for good. That also means as a gatekeeper, we can choose to bring good things in. But you bring some good things in. Certainly we should keep outside the door that which is harmful, wrong, not right. But let me say also, we should be bringing in good things. Thinking of some good things to do. Enjoyable things for your family. Things you can be involved in. Something, something that's uh, pleasant and pleasurable. That's in the line of right. And good. And I can't think of anything. It takes some work. Doing right takes work. It takes work. And, and, and let me say something to you, fellas. We're, we're built to work. That's why God made man. I, that's news for some people. That's the only way He made us. He, did, he, he said that. He made us for labor. Do you know part of that is for our family? Not just earning something so they're cared for. That is part of what we're supposed to do. But also caring for them and their other needs too. That they have a good place. And, you know, sometimes it means when they're real young, sometimes it means uh, playing with them when you're too tired. Now, all you really like to do is just go, yeah. You know? um, and by the way, when they're real small, it's easy. Small ones are easy to entertain. Lay on the floor and they'll just climb all over you like a jungle gym. <laughs> They have a good time, and you can actually take a nap. They never know the difference. Now they go older, you got to be a little more creative. But, I mean, use what you can while you can. You know what I mean? You really need to. And then later on, it may be talking and spending time and taking an interest in some things when you're just slap wore out yourself. And so uh, caring enough to do the environment the right way. How about an example? Being someone they can follow and uh, in your integrity and that sort of thing. You say, oh, I don't know. I don't really know I'm not a... Person who knows a lot, that's not what they're looking for. They're just looking for somebody who's honest and real and that they can follow. And um, that, that would mean a lot. Education, not just classical education in the sense of them learning the basics of education they need to operate in this world, but also teaching about life, learning some things. Um, you know, <laughs> I laugh. My, my, my stepfather really didn't give me much of those. He was not one to communicate such things. 
But one thing he used to say, and it's funny because he'd say, first I thought he was just joking, but it actually turned out to be very valuable. He, would say, he was not a person who was reactionary. Trust me, he was just not a reactionary type person. And uh, he would say, just remember, just don't get excited. I mean, he would not just, you know, get all worked up over anything. And uh, he was uh, up in years, and uh, he, my mom came over to visit, and we went as a family down to Old Man's Cave area. And you know, the way it used to be, it's not this way now, the traffic used to come right through there where you would go down the main entrance to Old Man's Cave area and where they had a little nature reserve. I mean, you remember the road used to be there and they'd come zipping down through there. Now it's configured so that didn't happen that way. Well, we were going along and we were talking about something and we were just talking and we'd been laughing about something. And we started across the road where there's a little rise the way that used to be right there where cars would just suddenly seem to appear. And uh, we were just talking, and, and he was still getting around pretty good, but he wasn't walking as fast. So we were going across the road. And he, I just said something, and he said, you got to remember the main thing is don't get excited. Just like, hey, just said that to me. And a car came over that hill going way too fast for the area. And we both hurried to the other side, and he looked at me and grinned. He said, but every now and then you got to speed up. <laughs> <laughs> But wouldn't it be good if we just uh, passed on things? You say, well, I don't know when I do that. Well, you have to spend time with someone, and then it kind of naturally comes along. In fact, you'll be teaching when you don't know that you are. And that's convicting, because what are you teaching with it? And then enforcement. Well, I don't know how take care of that. No, sir, that's you. Look. Yeah. Um. You're looking at a man who has no patience for a woman who can't do anything with the children she has had. Well, I just don't know what I'll do with the kids. Seriously? Your mom? Sorry, I don't even speak your language. My stepdad never corrected or disciplined us. Ever. I don't remember my mom ever saying, Mom, this woman is not what is these kids. Mama. So y'all must have been real good kids. Seriously? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> I'll invite y'all over for some holiday, alright? Um, I think she did it perfectly. And she never once said, I'm in charge here. Thanks for the notice. Can I get that text about that? Um, she's led. And with that said, Daddy ought to be there. Got to be working together. And in child rearing, especially, it doesn't just all get set in stone and then it's good all the way through. You, it, 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 you have to deal with it as the children are growing, as you're growing, as parents learning that you're dealing with not little children anymore, but little older children. And then you're dealing with young adults. And then it's a different thing. And, and you know, I, I've told more than one young person in our church, I said, be patient. It takes a long time to raise good parents. It really does. <laughs> And uh, you know, I mean, you go with it. It's it's kind of kind of kind of amazing sometimes to see the change in that. And uh, uh, it just I could give you some funny examples, but let me just say to us, uh, all of us, as we're looking at this thing, um, enforcement does not mean uh, extermination. It does not mean that everything has to be punitive, has to be punishment. It means that you you say, okay, this is the way this is, and on these things that are settled, you hold the line with. When you're tired, when you're not tired, when it's popular, when it's not popular, um, but we are enforced that, not push that off to our 
Uh, don't grow up to be a fellow who's just a little boy letting wifey take care of everything for him while you run around with no responsibility. Grow up into manhood and take care of the family. Then, encouragement. What does that mean? It's amazing how a smile can make a difference. It's amazing how recognizing effort is important. Us adults, I don't want to hear testimony about, but how many of you literally could say, I at one time or another have had somebody I worked for or somebody was in supervision over me that just, no matter what you did, you couldn't do the job right, and it was a total horrific pain. I mean, let me see a hand on that. How many of you felt a bunch of you nodding? Yep. Okay. Don't build that environment in your home. Well, I just want them to get better. Nobody gets better by being nagged about every detail that they don't do right. If the setting's right, right, you can correct and say, hey, this is a better way of doing it, and that sort of thing. And sometimes things just need corrected. I understand that. I'm for discipline, but discipline has to be born out of a heart of love. And you know, I'm telling you, the pattern for this is so messed up. And I'm going to be very, very blunt with you. Now, I, I especially at age I am, I can say this because I'm in a transition of the generations for this. The machoism of the American male in Western society has led to a lot of damaging ways of trying to deal with family. The machoism is not real strength. Real strength is here, here's what we do, here's what our family does, and you stand by it. Macho is, are you just going to, kids and a little, little woman going to do whatever I say? You know, if you can talk that way and you're not inebriated, you're not mentally stable. It's, you're messed up. So what preacher, what did you just say? Don't talk that way. That's what I just said. It's bad. So responsibility. By the way, I just staying with that. We're to bring them up. And we're supposed to love our wives. And that's important. Then the second word, first one is responsibility. Have you remember the second word or did you write down what was it? Reverence. reverence. There you go. All right. What is reverence? Um, the next item we're going to deal with will be respect. But these two things are not exactly the same. And one's born out of the other. Um, reverence is holding another in value because you recognize that person as the creation of Almighty God and the object of His love. You reverence them because of who they are and that sort of thing. You take care of them. You watch out for them with that. Um, his special and individual cares in that. It, it's interesting. It, it involves honoring the position that God's given that person in life. You know, uh, you're not under obedience to your parents your own life. There's some church groups that teach that you are and they're very wrong. A very off biblical and very damaging way of teaching. Because when you start, you take care of your own household, you're moving out. I was not under obedience to my mom once I started taking care of myself. So I moved out to take care of my own responsibilities as a young man. I was no longer under obedience. My wife, um, she was uh, in college and such, so it was a little bit of a mix of things because she wasn't living at home. But she was at home right before we got married. But the day that she came down and her dad took her arm and put it from his arm to my arm and gave her away. She was not in obedience to her dad. Not at all. Biblically, she's in obedience to her husband at that point. 
the uh, uh, she she was with that, and we have and my father-in-law who I got along well with, loved the fellow. He's a good, 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 good dad. Um, we had a couple of discussions about that in the early days. Went in certain lines, and we did have early discussions. And they went something like that. That's my wife now. This is how we're doing this. Not arrogant, not cocky, but also it wasn't a question. I wasn't asking permission to do it. That's my household. You see what I'm saying? No, no meanness involved in it. But what is this reverence? This reverence is honoring the position. You say, why not meanness? Why not because of reverence? That's her dad. We are supposed to honor. You say, well, why is my parents not honorable? I understand that. I'll tell you the thing I understand best about it, the best, best advice I can give you on it. Uh, take the name, take the life that's been given you by that parent or parents, perhaps that are not honorable in any way, that are maybe even abused, have been abusive to you, and we deal with these real life situations. Um, take the name, the life that's been given you, and you do something honorable with it. You make it honorable. You be honorable. And uh, that's the best thing I know to tell you with that. And that's always my advice on such things. Look in Ephesians chapter 5. Let me just show you a couple passages here. Look in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We're talking about reverence. By the way, I didn't just pull words out of the air for this. Verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. The easiest way for a wife to reverence her husband is if the husband truly loves her as he ought to love her. It's a responsiveness within the heart of a lady unless she has so corrupted herself with sin and self. It's the, it's the responsiveness within the heart of a lady to respond to godly love and to respond to real care for her that uh, that reverencing becomes something that is more and more natural for her to do. But that needs to be earned. We reverence God. He's earned it for sure. Hebrews chapter 12. Look at that please. Hebrews chapter 12. Talking about the biblical pattern for the family. Oh, preacher, what if, what if my family, you know, there's already so many different things. Find what part you're in and do the very best you can with it to match what God's got. You know, sometimes that's what we deal with, this old busted up world. Hebrews chapter 12, and verse 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they barely for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, as they saw fit. But He for our profit, that we might be partakers of His holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous, certainly while it's going on, doesn't it? Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. And then it talks about helping those who are feeble and such things as that. But what is this? This is reverence. 
This is me saying that I treat somebody with reverence and the reverence comes in uh, because I realize that they're made in the image of God that they have a position things that need cared for. I, this may sound funny to you. You know, I, I've never gone by the title reverend. I do not prefer that at all. I never... <laughs> But it's, I just don't because Reverend and Holy is his name. Right. And as a religious title for a leader, I don't go by Reverend. I've got a couple of friends who they do. It's the group they were in. I don't fuss with them over. They're calling themselves Father. I could go directly to Scripture and say, Yo, no, you're not. If you're going to call yourself Father to me, give me an allowance. Amen. Um, but it's uh, but Reverend, I just don't go by Reverend. I'm a pastor, preacher, I like that. Um, but this thing of reverence, I ought to reverence every child in this church. They hear the pastor. Well, they're, they're the people who got done for it. You're a swirly kid. You know that? <laughs> I say that with all reverence. Kiddo. I love it. But every young person, I reverence. In other words, I talk to them. They're important. Give thought and time to what they're taught, how they're taught, that their souls are cared for. That they're dealt with thoroughly when it comes to the matter of salvation, that they understand the basics of doctrine. This is important. This is stuff that should be constantly being stronger. Why? Because it's reverence. Now, me, uh, reverence, my wife, my children, these, my grandchildren, these uh, people in my life, my sister, my brother. Why? Because they're people, because they're made in the image of God. This is God's pattern for a family. This is God's pattern for a family. Then the word respect. It's an interesting word, isn't it? Respect is allowing our reverence one another to cause us to treat each other with dignity and forbearance. I told my Sunday school class it's great when I did the word study on the word forbearance, forbearing one another. It means literally the word forbearance. What's that word mean? It means putting up with each other. Isn't that great? God says sometimes in the Bible, put up with each other. Doesn't it come down to that sometimes? Okay. That's Uncle Uncle Fred. He's weird, but we love him. Um, I mean, it's sometimes we just put up with each other. Sometimes we just put up with the things that go on. Why? Because it's worth it. Because that person. Um, respect is something always to be earned, never to be demanded. You're going to respect me. I don't know. You may intimidate. You may have someone in a position where they have to listen to you. But they don't respect you if you're demanding it. It's always earned. It has to be earned. May God help us to live in such a way of servanthood and such a way of integrity that we do earn it. And you can. You can. And even, if, even if you've not done well with this, you can because you can learn. And you can because we have a living God and it changes your living. You can no matter what else has gone on and how much you may have messed up some of this, you can decide to learn and grow. Don't be satisfied to die before you're dead. Don't be satisfied to quit growing and living and, and, and becoming stronger in the Lord. Don't ever be satisfied with that. God's not done with you. If He was done with you, He'd have you home. But He has you here. He has a reason for you. Keep going. Keep growing in the Lord. Then, <laughs> I wrote this statement down. If you expect of others... What you don't exhibit by example, then you're a tyrant, not a leader. What are some elements of respect? 
Philippians chapter 2 gives us one. I'll just give you a couple more verses here. Philippians chapter 2. What are, what are the elements of respect? How are we respectful? Remember hearing the voice of someone saying one time they would say, yes, sir, but they said it and it almost sounded like a cuss word. Yes, sir. Yeah, right words, respectful words, but a totally not respectful way of doing it. So what is, what is real respect? Look at verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. See how pride is need to be out of it. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. If you're not familiar with that wonderful word esteem, it means to count of value. To, to, to value that person and value who, who they are. You used to have a fellow live in a field, catty corner, back away from us. Long way. His house was a long way from us. Sometimes you could hear in our backyard, you could hear him cussing his children. The boys remember that. <laughs> the boys referred to him as Meathead. They were young. He said, Meathead's back there cussing his kids. I said, Why didn't you teach him different? I didn't have the heart to on that one. I just didn't. I, think, I thought what they called him was probably too mild. That's, that's wicked. That's something you've been cussed by your parents. Screaming in your face. Like any parent who has, doesn't do that as a regular rule of things and has done it in a fit of anger feels the sting and the remorse and the cutting in their soul that that causes. Knowing that you've inflicted damage as if you took a whip and ran it across and cut them, but scarring. We need God's help to do things the right way for sure. But do you understand? Do you understand that this ain't a respect? If you expect of others what you do not exhibit by example, then you're a tyrant, not a leader. Why? Because you don't esteem them. You don't count them a value. You say they're a valuable person. Ephesians chapter 4. Go back to the book of Ephesians again. Ephesians 4. At the very end of verse 4. Verse 32 makes a statement. And be a kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God... For Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And a forgiven people can be a forgiving people. Sometimes the struggle to be forgiving has to do with the condition of you being forgiven. Either you're not forgiven or you've not explored what that means or dared to believe and take it into your life. How about just plain old courtesy? 1 Peter 3. 1 Peter 3. You know, I can see something twerpy to say about almost anything that is said or done. It's an affliction of the brain. It really is. I, I hear things in a funny way. I can respond to them all day long. Cute comebacks. Really fast. I've, I've installed as I've gotten older more and more filters to that. I have to clean them all the time. You say, why? Because it's just not funny. And it, and it can be very much... When you're talking to somebody and you do too much of that stuff, a little bit can be too much with some people. Um, 
you know, it, it can almost it can say to that person, what you're saying doesn't really matter. <laughs> Spurgeon, when he was teaching his preachers, he said, beware of the dangerous gift of humor. Otherwise, nobody feels like you take anything seriously. Say, we need to we need to have some sobriety. Right. You know, when somebody's trying to talk to us about something serious, and sometimes there's things that fire off my brain. And I'm just I just totally suppress it, and I'm going, hmm, man, is that the wrong time for that to come out? May God give us wisdom with this. Look in First Peter, We're talking about courtesy with this. First Peter chapter three. How about the way we talk to each other? How we treat each other in our homes? In our homes, you know, if the Bible warns that in the last times they'll be fierce, it's right first thing out of the box, fierce. You know, we have to watch for that spirit of that age will be in us. Fierce! Can't even talk to each other. Why didn't you do that? Why didn't you do that? I think one of the funniest little rejoinders to that is, is when somebody says, down killer. Sometimes I'll say that to myself, down killer. I like that because to my mind that says, are you really getting that worked up over that? And the answer sometimes is, yes, I am. I don't need to. First Peter chapter 3, look in verse 8. Finally, summarizing something here, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, having the capacity for pity, be what? Courteous. What is that? Have courtesy. About a simple thing like learning to say thank you when somebody does something nice instead of acting like you're the king of the world and it's owed to you. <laughs> I appreciate it. That was nice. Appreciate the effort you put forth. You look nice today. Thank you for whatever. Well, they're supposed to do that. Does that mean we can't thank them for it? My wife is supposed to take care of our household. Biblically, she is. She's supposed to guide the house. She's supposed to care for things. She does. She does a good job of it. But it would be a sorry thing if I didn't take time to appreciate that. When I went to my closet this morning. This shirt was ironed. Ready to go. Things were ready. I appreciate that. Well, the wife, she's, you know what? She's a grown-up adult lady. She doesn't have to do anything. It could be supper time. She could say, good luck, Bubba. I'm going shopping. <laughs> so, do things. Appreciation. It'd be nice if some of that, if we had a little bit of emotional trickle-down economics, some of that went to our kids too. Wouldn't that be a good thing? We're supposed to care for one another. And then you have responsibility, reverence, respect, and then rejoicing. These are two neat little verses. Look at Proverbs chapter 5. Rejoicing. What's that mean? Learn to enjoy one another. You know, sometimes one of the greatest stress releases in life is to learn to be able to laugh at something and not at each other. Ha ha, you look funny. No, not that way. But just sit back and yeah. be sober-minded. But man, don't take life so seriously you blow yourself up. It's crazy how people do sometimes. Proverbs 5, verse 18. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Um, enjoying that. Sometimes that means you have to uh, learn to put a few little things into your life, like maybe taking a walk together, going and doing something. Just a few minutes. It doesn't have to cost a bunch of money. It doesn't have to be 
something that stacks out. I'm talking about long-term health here. I'm talking about long-term health. God wants you to have a pattern to rejoice. I mean, enjoy the folks you know. Take time to care about them. Take time to enjoy the, the things about them that you can enjoy and, and, uh, and, and try, to, try, to, uh, uh, try to be a blessing to them during that time with it. And the last one, Psalm, uh, make sure the right place, 128. Psalm 128. Talking about rejoicing. You know, if you've got still have children at your household, do you know if you watch them long enough, you'll have stuff to laugh about. It's funny. Their take on life is hilarious. It's it's just funny to watch some of the stuff and rejoice. And if you slow down and listen to some of the things they're doing, if they're trying to explain something to you, and I know you can't every minute of every day, I get that. Especially if you have the one who is the consummate communicator. Say, what does that mean? They never quit talking. You would never get anything done. The whole family would starve and the house would fall down and they would still be telling you about their latest adventure. I get it. So there has to be a moderating influence in it. I understand that. But do you know every now and then if you listen to how they're looking at things, you'll learn some things that are pretty neat. Psalm 128. It says there in verse 3, Thy wife shall be a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house, Thy children like olive plants around thy table. Now, since you're all a bunch of Baptists and a lot of you are about half smart aleck, I know you're thinking all kinds of weird things with that. But what it's talking about there is pleasantness and uh, something that is pleasant, something that's enjoyable, and uh, you enjoy that. Um, my wife said to me, we were talking about something yesterday actually, and uh, mentioned something about when we were teenagers and now. She goes, how in the world did that happen? How did we get, you know, from 15, 16 years old, 16, 17 years old, to 58, 57 years old? She, she said, how in the world did that happen? I said, near as I can tell, about one day at a time, but some of them really sped by quickly. Now, I'm on the other side of saying this. It jumps so fast. Don't wish away today. Uh, sometimes there are more strenuous than others. I understand that. And uh, anybody who finds great delight in, you know, a baby with colic, you're just weird, okay? I'm just telling you, you're weird. Thank God you have the kids, but man, the colic, you know, find somewhere else to put that. Um, but, you know, hey, when I grow up, hey, when I grow up, I sometimes when I speak to young people, I'll tell them, don't, don't be in such a hurry to grow up, man. Just enjoy where you are. And, uh, you know, enjoy that. Look forward to some things, but don't get in such a hurry that you miss where you are. And uh, same thing with the youngins. Well, I'll be glad when they're up old enough. Okay, I, can I give you a pastoral exemption? I'll, I'll allow you to say that to the point in time where you're not taking care of diapers. I think that's fair. <laughs> I think that's fair. I, but it's a, you know, well, when they get old, well, when they get past, when, when they get past this stage, it's not stage, it's life. It's a season. Think of it that way. It's a lot more biblical. It'll actually direct your thinking better. Stage is just something going through. You can't do anything about it. you got to endure it. The season is realizing that God has purposes even in those times. There's a big difference between a stage and a season. And when you look at it as a season and realize there's a, there's a season for every purpose under heaven, God's teaching you something and God's trying to help you to help them with at that time. 
It's a statement one of the preachers said. We need to, we usually need love the most when we're least lovable. <laughs> and uh, that's true in life. But what's the biblical pattern for the family? Responsibility. Take your part serious. Reverence. Realize that the rest of your family are the creation of God and treat them accordingly. Respect. Um, be respectable. Respectable. Where someone could have the ability to respect you. And then uh, rejoice. Enjoy the folks you've got. Enjoy every day with them. And uh, it's been amazing. Those who have lost spouses that are in our congregation, to a person, they have said to me, this person, to a person, they have said to me in their own phrase, in their own way, they have said to me, Treasure what you have. Enjoy one another. And uh, that's a really good advice. We can do a whole lot better than we're doing to be a pattern for how God wants to work through His people towards each other. All I'm asking you to do this morning with this message is will you, will you seek God on how to do this? When you put it into play, we start with this foundation. Let me pray with you, please. Father, thank you so much for your words and uh, for the teachings of them. God, in all sorts of different situations sitting in this room this morning that all needed the Word of God. Please do that work, which I can't. I could not manufacture and craft things to do. Lord, way beyond my putting the words together and trying to lay it out in some kind of fashion, Lord, will you please speak to the hearts of those who've heard. Lord, may we be followers of your biblical pattern of treating each other the right way. Help us, Lord, to do this, that families may be strong and honoring to you, ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together, please. Today be a good day just say, God, I'm going to. Start looking for your patterns. You start learning about your patterns. So you put them into place. God's got them for you. That's how He's dealt with His people. And He'll help you. He won't leave you stranded. He'll help you. But you got to see.